The Interchange is brought to you by Pacific Gas and Electric. Did you know that 20% of EV drivers in the U.S. are in PG&E service territory in Northern California? But the electric revolution can't happen with single drivers alone, so PG&E is helping to electrify corporate fleet vehicles as well. Get in touch with PG&E's EV specialists to find out how you can take your transportation fleets electric. Don't miss out. Find more at pge.com gtm. That's pge.com forward slash gtm. We're also brought to you by Wonder Capital, the leading solar investment platform. Wonder gets your commercial solar projects and now community solar projects done fast. And if you're an investor, Wonder gets your money to projects and helps you earn up to 7.5% annually. If you want your project financed or you want to invest, find out more at wondercapital.com gtm. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I am Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor with GTM in Boston. Welcome. This week, who is winning the electric vehicle race? Within the next decade, automakers will likely invest $300 billion or more in electric vehicle models. That's according to a recent tally from Reuters. And they're spending billions more on autonomy to complement those investments. It could result in 21 million electric cars, trucks, and SUVs out there on the roads or sitting in lots waiting for consumers. A lot of that activity is happening in China, but we're starting to see new investments in EV manufacturing here in the U.S. VW, Ford, and Chevy are collectively putting over $2 billion into new or upgraded factories to produce EVs, some with autonomous functions. So with all this money sloshing around, who's doing what? And are any definitive leaders emerging? Out in the Berkeley Hills is my co-host, Shale Khan. He's Managing Director at Energy Impact Partners. Good day, sir. How are you? Hey, Stephen. I'm good. How are you? Good. Have you seen any electric autonomous vehicles driving around your neighborhood recently? Uh, I have not, though Berkeley is home to some of the earliest autonomous uh, little bots that deliver groceries, especially on the UC Berkeley campus. So there are a bunch of these cute little robots riding on the sidewalk that are uh, either remotely controlled or autonomous, I'm not entirely sure, that are there to to deliver you your groceries or your pre-prepared meal. I like the little bots. I think they're less scary than the drones. They're definitely less scary, but they are on the sidewalk. And there has been an issue with, uh, as you can imagine, UC Berkeley students vandalizing them. <laughs> what about you, Julia, out there in LA? Do you have, do you have bots all around your feet? No bots, um, just bird scooters, really. (laughs) Yeah, they're on every sidewalk in every major metropolitan area. Well, that is Julia Piper. Who better to help us answer this question about the future of EVs than her? She is a contributing editor at GTM who covers electric vehicles and mobility. She is in Los Angeles. Hello, Julia. Hello. Astute listeners will notice that I changed your title to contributing editor. You have a significant move that you just made this week. What's going on? Yeah, I'm excited to say I will still be in the GTM ecosystem, helping with edits and writing stories, including my GTM Squared column on electric vehicles. But I'll also be starting to branch out a little bit, taking on some new reporting tasks, uh, pursuing a dream to report internationally a little later this year, I hope. And launching season two of Political Climate, the uh, political podcast I launched last year uh, and will be rebooting next week. Well, Julia, you are still covering mobility and electric vehicles extensively, which means you are following what all these automakers are doing. 
So let's go into this big number that Reuters tallied and then talk about what each automaker is doing, or at least some of the top automakers, and then figure out where electrification fits into this broader mobility strategy that seems to be shifting the direction of a lot of the car makers. So $300 billion, is that being evenly distributed or are there a few companies dominating investments? It's dominated by a few companies, although pretty much every automaker around the world is having to get into the EV game today. The number one player at present is Volkswagen, which is interesting, as we know from the Dieselgate scandal, of course, where they were penalized more than $30 billion um, from the 2015 scandal. And now they are the number one investor in electric vehicles, going very big into China and having major investment goals. They actually even just boosted their uh, investment target for EVs uh, by 50%. So they're targeting 22 million battery electric vehicles by 2029, up from a previous target of 15 million. So that that is a lot, and they're going you know across the spectrum of of vehicles. Uh, just recently, they announced they want to produce a budget EV around the twenty two thousand dollar mark, launching in twenty twenty three, and it will be targeted at the Chinese market. So uh, there's a lot going on with VW, and I think it's a, definitely the company to watch right now. I mean, one thing that I think we probably should note. Because you see these huge numbers thrown around, and indeed they are huge, $300 billion overall being spent by the automakers. But I was thinking about that and realized that I didn't understand fully what that meant for them to spend money. Is it CapEx on factories? Is it something else? So at least in the case of VW, because we're talking about them already, they were $91 billion out of that $300 billion number. But that $91 billion, that's, that's $34 billion on quote-unquote e-mobility which I'm curious, Julia, if you know what that really means, and then $57 billion of that on battery procurement. So if they're going to produce a ton of electric vehicles, they're going to buy a lot of batteries. But just important to note that when we talk about these big investment figures, some of that, at least in the VW case, comes from procurement of equipment. Yeah. I think they all are part of the same story, though, I would say. Um, yes, big numbers that are divided across parts of the company. But what's interesting there is uh, the components business for Volkswagen, for instance. Um, they have a new production target uh, internally. So the components business is already spending 40% of its investments on electric mobility, up from 5% a few years ago. And so it's just a testament to how this has to ripple through a very complex organization. They have to get their manufacturing lines in order. Um, so there's more than just building an EV, setting up a factory. But I do think it's all basically supporting the same vision. Uh, what's interesting to see, too, is some automakers getting into other elements of the energy industry along the way. Uh, Volkswagen launched a company called Eli, uh, E-L-L-I, uh, last year to get into the energy industry. So that's just an interesting note for our clean tech industry followers, that this is even branching out beyond just the cars on the road. So we're going to see what, 20, 21 million electric vehicles produced over the next decade. And if you actually look at projections, we're probably going to see 7 or 8 million electric vehicle purchases. So there's going to be this huge glut of electric vehicles potentially. And I know Deloitte did a study on this recently showing this massive gap between what's being produced and what's actually going to be purchased. 
And I wonder, are we missing something here? I mean, are we going to face a serious problem in seven or eight years when there's all these electric vehicles sitting around on lots and consumers aren't buying them? Or do experts predict some kind of increase in demand that we're just not seeing today? I think, to be more specific, Deloitte put out a study that was projecting that we'll have an oversupply of 14 million units of electric vehicles over the next decade. I don't think that, I mean, we don't know, right? And it's really, really hard to predict how the demand side of this equation is going to play out, especially because we just, we haven't seen what happens when some of the biggest problems facing electric vehicle adoption today get solved. Range anxiety by having longer range vehicles and by having more build out of charging infrastructure, having different format vehicles. If you had an electric Ford F-150 or if the Rivian truck shows up and turns out to be as good as it looks on paper, you know, a big marketing push from the automakers around these models, we just don't know. So I think it's, it's to some degree, it's folly to make big predictions about oversupply of electric vehicles, given that the supply will be there, it appears, um, and we just don't know how the demand side will react yet. It makes you wonder if the automakers, you know, had a valid point during the fuel economy standards discussions where they were saying, you know, we're worried that if we build them, people won't come. I remember, I think a Toyota representative told me that one time. They haven't really cracked the nut on marketing these things. There's a lot of practices at dealerships um, that aren't really conducive with selling EVs. You know, these incentives aren't aligned for the sales folks and things like that. So there's probably more that needs to be thought of here in terms of the broader ecosystem of selling EVs. I know Veloz, um, a, a group here in California, and I believe they're working across the country, uh, their mandate is to just inform the public of what EVs are all about. Something like more than half of Californians don't even really know what EVs are and, and how they function and the options available. I guess one thing I'm curious about is they're not monolithic, right? And so we, we talked about VW. We haven't talked about too many of the others yet. I'm curious, Julia, you know, as I think about, for example, the world of the oil and gas super majors and how they're approaching climate change and power and things like that, I think of them as on a spectrum, ranging from on the sort of most progressive forward leading side, companies like Shell and BP and Equinor, to on the least progressive side, those that don't appear to be making any major changes to their business as a result, companies like Exxon. Is there something similar in the automaker world? If VW is out on the front end, who's on the back end? Yeah, in terms of laggards, um, I think in the U.S., Chrysler's sort of been known as one of the slower ones to get on board. Um, but it, it is partnering now with other European brands and getting into the game. Uh, I think one of the interesting ones is Nissan. You know, it was an early leader, and I would not say it's out of the EV game, but they just rebooted the Nissan Leaf, and it's not that compelling. It's uh, about the same or even lower range than the Chevy Bolt and lower than the Model 3. It is cheaper at around 29000 or 30000 uh, The Bolt and the Model 3 are, are up from that, but they didn't really bring anything new to the game with this big relaunch. So I think even among companies that are making EVs, there's a huge range of product quality. And then meanwhile, there's a Kia, which kind of came out of nowhere with two long-range SUVs and crossovers, the Kia Soul and the Nero. I have no idea what the quality is of those, but it is a testament to another automaker you know, coming out with an EV option at a, at a longer range. Um, I don't have any other sort of front-of-mind laggards. I'd be curious if you guys know of more. Well, Toyota is an interesting one because Toyota put so much investment into a fuel cell vehicle and adoption of that has been far 
lower than electric versions. And it made a reversal within the last year and said it's going to produce 10 models, I think, 10 electrified models, uh, maybe a couple for the Chinese market as well. Uh, but there's, you know, there, I don't see any pathway to getting to hundreds of thousands or millions of electric vehicles in, in the coming years for a company like Toyota. So they f- it feels like they're playing catch up in the electrification game. Yeah, and, and Honda went that hydrogen route too with the Honda Clarity, and I was just looking up some numbers. I think they sold one last year, <laughs> something like that. Um, I'm not quite sure where they're at on the EV game, but <laughs> Honda's another brand you just never really see or hear of on the EV front. One thing that I've been interested to see happening is, yeah, I think for a long time there was an assumption that this was going to be a stepping stone game to get to full electrification. So you'd end up with a lot of plug-in hybrids first, and then you know people would use that to wet their whistle for electrification, go full EV afterwards. The sense that I get now is that automakers are sort of skipping the plug-in hybrids for many models, perhaps less so. I mean, you mentioned the, the Nero, which is a, a crossover sort of SUV that I think can be a plug-in hybrid, but for the smaller models, sedans and things like that, it seems to me like there's more pure electric coming out than there is plug-in hybrid. And I wonder if you guys, first of all, see the same thing, and second of all, what you think of that. Yeah, I would definitely say that the plug-in hybrid is going by the wayside. I believe in California, pure battery electrics are now outpacing plug-in hybrids by um, a meaningful number. And GM, I think, is an interesting you know, example of this, they just retired the Volt, um, the plug-in hybrid that was, you know, really launched the market. And um, they just said, why would we build a car where the consumer had to basically pay to carry around a heavy gasoline engine, which reduces electric range, when we just have the ability now to uh, make longer range EVs. So I that's an interesting point. I think consumer wise, I don't think at least reading the Twitter responses to my story, that people are totally sold. They like the idea of having a shorter commuter range of 40 miles or so all electric and then the ability to go further. So I don't know if that's more of a business decision because it it is expensive to build a car with both electric and gas-powered technology or if that's really a response to the market. Because again, I think the pure EVs still have a fair amount of, of marketing they need to do to get broad consumer adoption. Yeah. And I think the other big swing factor, this isn't over the next couple of years necessarily, but say over the next five or 10 years that automakers I know are looking at as well, and it's just really hard to predict is how fast we will see the general mobility market shift both towards sharing and toward our autonomous, because both of those lend themselves very well to electric vehicles, their high utilization profiles, their fleet owned, the result of that being that the economics of EVs work even better. So if you're looking at the long-term future of like an autonomous shared um, mobility world, then you're going to become more bullish on electric vehicles, but how quickly that comes is, is anybody's guess. Well, coming up, the sleeping dragon of the auto market starts to wake up. China is investing a large portion of that $300 billion in electric vehicles. So we'll talk a little bit about how the world's biggest auto market is grappling with EVs. First, here in the U.S., a lot of companies are starting to electrify their fleets. And if you're in PG&E service territory, you can take advantage of limited time incentives. So PG&E is allowing you to get educated, gain access, and make the smart choice to make your fleet, your company's fleet, electric. Once you make the choice, don't go it alone. PG&E is there to help. PG&E provides substantial financial, logistical, and construction support for all the electrical infrastructure needed to charge a customer's fleet. 
And with new commercial EV rates from PG&E, fueling your fleet becomes simpler and likely cheaper. Get in touch with one of their EV specialists and learn more by going to pge.com slash gtm. And if you want help with your commercial solar project, there's only one place to turn, Wonder Capital. Wonder can help secure financing for your project. And if you're adding storage, Wonder can help there too. Through its innovative underwriting platform, Wonder is financing 100 kilowatt to 5 megawatt solar PV projects, including those for nonprofits, community solar, virtual net metering, and PV plus storage systems. Find out how Wonder can help you finance your next project at wondercapital.com slash GTM. Okay, so let's talk about the elephant in the room in any EV conversation, which is China. We've alluded to already that, you know, China is the, the, by far the largest EV market in the world. It drives a ton of demand. It's also, I think, the source of uh, the reason behind a lot of these investments that automakers are making. On the other hand, you have a changing subsidy regime there that probably impacts demand to some degree. So, so Julia, can you just kind of situate us in terms of what's happening with electric vehicle adoption in China? Yeah, Electric vehicle adoption in China is really doing that hockey stick right now. Uh, Sales were up significantly last year. I mentioned they totaled 1.2 million. That's up from around 77 million uh, in 2017. So it's going up. And uh, like you said, there is a change in strategy. The government is expected to cut subsidies for EVs, but they are shifting to still uh, more of a target-oriented model where it's still an industrial policy in China to have automakers make EVs. And I believe it's actually mandatory after a certain year that all automakers make EVs in China. Um, And because of this policy um, guidance, we've seen something like 500 or at least 400 EV makers crop up in China. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. There is some debate there around you know, what types of of cars these companies are making. I talked to one analyst at UBS that said he only counts about 100 sort of legitimate EV makers in China today. But nonetheless, it's a huge number. And in his in his words, some will some will dive, some will survive and only a few will thrive. So because you still have so much demand in China and it's such a big market, uh, the the market's getting very crowded and uh, there'll be both a lot of growth and a lot of companies that will go by the wayside. Well, this isn't just the automobiles that we've been talking about on this show. China is locking in dominance in electric buses as well. I think it's deployed 99% of the electric buses out there in the world. It also has deployed 99% of electric two-wheelers. So China is not just dominating in electric cars, but electric transportation generally. You know, one thing that automatically makes me nervous about that, just coming from the experience that solar has had over the past few years, where once once China becomes such a dominant force in the global demand picture and where the market is dependent on the Chinese central government's policies – you know, those policies can change dramatically. And when that happens, there's an impact that reverberates through the rest of the market. The example, you know, this time being, as you mentioned, Julia, the the new subsidy program was just um, announced for EVs, I think last week or the week before, which cuts subsidies like 50% or more from from the last year's levels. I just worry about one market that is you know, centrally driven like that being such a major force in terms of current adoption rates, because, you know, you run into these weird short term cycles of major oversupply and, uh, you know, automakers can 
can have a backlash based on that. But this feels so different from the solar market. I mean, the automotive market is so regional, and you have largely Chinese companies making for the Chinese roads. So I don't know what kind of global ripples this would cause if Chinese automakers are building a lot of these cars, if other countries aren't buying them in the first place. I mean, you alluded to this earlier, Stephen, but I don't think it's entirely true. You do have a lot of Chinese automakers selling EVs in the Chinese market, but but a bunch of the non-Chinese automakers are also trying to sell EVs into the Chinese market. They're doing so through partnerships and JVs and things like that too, but it, you know, they're not insulated entirely from what happens in China. I will say that there's still targets. You know, I think the country's still trying to have, I think, all new vehicles be new energy vehicles by 2025. And they're, China's even considering a ban on internal combustion engine cars. I don't believe that's been enacted yet. But if that went through, you would see such momentum around EVs. And I think the point with China is this is not about environmentalism. It's about their way into the overall auto market. China has not been able to get consumers around the world on board with its gas-powered cars. It just, for whatever reason, they could never make them as well or get as much traction as existing automakers. So they see EVs as a strategic move into breaking into the overall auto market. So I think that's an important distinction and what's really going to drive a lot of this going forward. There's this bigger question about global competition that sometimes leaves me scratching my head. So many people lamented the fact that the Chinese were dominating the solar industry. Folks like Tom Friedman and Paul Krugman and you know others in the clean tech industry. We're losing an American industry or losing a European industry, but we all benefited from much cheaper solar and ultimately downstream solar benefited as a result of China's overinvestment in PV. In 10 years' time, if it's a, as long as it's a reliable car, I'm not going to care if it's Chinese or from somewhere else. I just want these companies to invest heavily in, in electric vehicles so that they're a lot cheaper, they're more reliable, and there are a lot more of them on the roads for environmental reasons. So we talk about how it's a shame that maybe U.S. automakers are behind and we're going to lose the race to China. But there's a net benefit to most consumers around the globe when China invests or overinvests in a particular technology. I mean, to your point, it's a regional it's a regional market. It's not global in the sense that solar panels are. Um, but overall, it's obviously good that China is investing so heavily in electric vehicles if you care about climate change, for example. Hopefully, other countries follow in China's lead in terms of how aggressive it, they're they're being on on promoting and to some degree enforcing electric vehicle adoption. Indeed. So, I guess there's one final question, which is, where do these electric vehicle investments fit in with investments in autonomy, investments in ride sharing, and where automakers see the future of mobility going? Because when you start to tie together investments in self-driving vehicles or partnerships or investments in some of these ride-sharing companies, different companies stand out. So any thoughts on who's leading in terms of their overall strategic approach to mobility, Julia? It's a good question. I honestly feel like automakers sort of press the brake on autonomous technology a little bit. I have some friends who work in in that industry, and they're saying, yeah, I know we came out with a lot of press releases, a lot of target dates. But the tricky part is getting from level three autonomy, where, you know, the car can take over up to all the way to level five. 
So there's a lot of pieces that are still being put in place there. One example of this is uh, BMW came out with the iNext vehicle concept car, which is coming in 2021. It's an EV. It's going to have 430 miles of range. It's expensive, but they even acknowledge, no, this could do level five, but probably won't because it's all subject to regulatory conditions around the world. So I think on that front, um, the autonomous electric shared future we're all kind of envisioning, I think it's going to take much longer to come. And like I said before, I've got a kind of pessimistic view on some of these things, which maybe I will totally regret saying one day. Um, but it does feel like uh, there's been a bit of a slowdown on that vision. Um, but depends on who you talk to. A friend of mine, a Daimler said, you know, she thinks, you know, cars are going to become like horses one day where you can drive them on the weekends if you want, but you don't need them to get around. So, I think it I think it depends. And one last point on this is is Daimler and BMW are actually spending a billion dollars on a shared program for all electric on demand autonomous cars. So, you know, again, in the coming years, I think we could see this roll out much like we're seeing these EV investments coming now. I think the real weight of those will be felt in the three or four, maybe five year time frame. Well, it's important to separate the questions around level five or level four autonomy and current investments in autonomy. So level five autonomy is a long way away. These are cars that are incredibly smart, that are making all the decisions themselves and can react to almost any condition on the road. We're, we're talking today about level two autonomy, uh, where you, you, know, you have mostly human operation and the car can take over in certain conditions. Getting from level two autonomy to level four or five autonomy is an extraordinary leap and no matter how much you believe in autonomous vehicles, I don't think anyone really believes that those cars are going to be on the road anytime soon. With that said, automakers across the board are still investing pretty heavily in autonomy, right? Ford, as part of this $900 million electric vehicle plan, building out this factory in Michigan, they're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on continuing to develop autonomy. Uh, GM is doing the same. Uh, even Hyundai and Kia are developing level four autonomous vehicles by around 2025. So it appears to me that the skepticism is warranted about the time frame, but companies are still dumping a ton of money in them, believing that this technology is coming sooner or later. So I think it was maybe billed as being a little closer than maybe we thought. But yeah, you're right, Stephen, that this, there are big dollars moving into this sector. Uh, Byton, a Chinese EV maker, they don't even care about the current market. They're saying we're going all the way for this future vision of a day when cars are actually more like mobile devices that you call and they do all kinds of services for you. So that's the longer term vision. Uh, they'll just take a while to get there. Okay, well, we'll see what kind of headlines you write next, Julia. Julia Piper is a newly minted contributing editor at GTM. She writes a fantastic squared column for premium subscribers on the future of electrified transportation. It really is um, a really important article to read if you want to get up on what automakers are doing or what the policy situation looks like for EVs in the U.S. and around the world. Julia, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Shale Khan is a managing director at Energy Impact Partners. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Stephen. If you drive an electric vehicle and you love it, let us know on Twitter. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? What automakers in your eyes are leading the electrification push? And uh, give us a rating review anywhere you get your podcast. It certainly helps us out. If you have feedback, hit us up at podcasts at greentechmedia.com. 
With Shale Khan and Julia Piper, I'm Stephen Lacey. This is the Interchange Conversations on the Future of Energy from Green Tech Media.